0: This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about
1: money, boys!
0: Here we go again. You must be truly desperate to come to me for help hey guys and welcome to another episode of franchise fatigue this is a show where we talk about film series one movie at a time i am your host gabe green and as always i'm here with my co-host james Amrick. what's up dude nothing much
1: hopefully this is the last time i sound terrible uh should be back at it with a mic next week but it'll still be you it'll still be me so you know it's only going to be so much of an improvement. I'm doing well, though. This this last, week, really, these last couple of weeks have been kind of crazy. Uh, I got a new job, but I don't start until the 5th of August. So that's still a bit of ways. But it's it's with a an engineering place that, like, does a lot of government contracts and stuff. And so there's so much security. And I've been sent three different emails with enormous amounts.
0: That they let you in. Yeah, I don't.
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, but, like loads and loads and loads of stuff I'm having to print off and sign and scan and send back and I went in for drug testing and uh this other stuff and also all, all on top of that is moving and we've got to be out in 2 days and we're mostly done so yeah it's but it's been pretty hectic and we're going on vacation at the end of the week so
0: yeah me too actually well, well in about a week and a half I'm going home to Virginia for a few days so Um, Next week uh, is going to be a bit of a different episode. We'll get into that uh, at the end. But of course, we are currently in the MCU. And today we're talking about uh, one of the low points, Thor The Dark World. Before we get into that, I want to ask you guys, uh, if you enjoyed this show, to please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review and subscribe. It would be very helpful, and we would really appreciate that. Uh, And also, if you want to like us on Facebook, uh, you can find us at Franchise Fatigue Podcast, and you can keep up to date with the latest episodes as well as the feedback uh, that can end up on the show. And speaking of said feedback, uh, I asked on Facebook and Twitter what our listeners thought of this film. On Facebook, Joseph said, someone once asked if they had to skip three Marvel films, what would they be? Thor The Dark World all three times.
1: (laughs) Phillips said, I like it. The interaction between Thor and Loki and Idris Elba being awesome. It's an enjoyable film.
0: And our pal Ryan Wall said, I try not to.
1: (laughs) Jason said, was not impressed.
0: Don Shanahan from Every Movie Has a Lesson said, weakest of the series. Byron
1: said, it's a weak film, but there is still some enjoyment to be found. Mostly Loki. Loki
0: is always enjoyable. Yes. Jeff Norman said, I love it very much. Loki's Ark is incredible. Uh, he probably shouldn't listen to this episode then. Although I do agree about the Loki's arc stuff. But.
1: Yeah. Uh, David said, under freaking rated, but hardly perfect.
0: He's half right. <laughs> Becky said, I liked it at the time. Later, couldn't remember a thing about it. Rewatched it. Forgot what it was about five minutes later. So, yeah. Sounds
1: about right. Michael said, worst MCU movie of all time.
0: Drew said... It's currently embroiled in a battle for the weakest MCU film with Incredible Hulk and Captain Marvel. Incredible Hulk, you take Uh, that back. uh, Just be glad you weren't on that episode.
1: Oh, no. Y'all should be glad because y'all would have to answer (laughs) to some real criticism that I'm sure wasn't brought up. Uh huh. Uh, Our friend Josh Berkey from Victims and Villains podcast said, Get some rather unfair love. Not terrible, but not the strongest. That's Uh, weird.
0: uh, i'm guessing he meant unfair hate i mean i would say it gets unfair love but it's a weird statement so i'm assuming he meant unfair hate yeah jo- joe said meh uh
1: and then on twitter uh mike at jarek said enjoy it a little more each time i watch it but always as a part of a thor
0: trilogy rewatch i think it might be the exact opposite for me but <laughs> we will get there uh, so moving into our main discussion of the film, uh. Just going through some of the -the behind-the-scenes story uh, to get this film to the big screen. So after finishing his work on the first Thor film, writer Don Payne immediately went into planning a second Thor movie um, before the first one had even been released. A month after Thor's release in July of 2011, the second Thor film was announced with a summer of 2013 release date. Uh, Kenneth Branagh was offered the directing job again, but he opted not to return. He said, it was simply timing. I love doing the movie. I'd love to do another movie for Marvel. And it was just timing. The requirement for me was to just get back into the saddle so swiftly that it really wasn't feasible. Uh, but it was a decision Marvel understood. And uh, that's it's, it's just a crying shame that he wasn't able to come I was back. Listen,
1: man, I, there's, there's another universe somewhere where somebody got that movie. In.
0: If that had happened, Thor might not be in the condition he is now. <laughs> in the oh, MC, which would be wonderful. There we um, go.
1: Get our, get our jabs at, at current Thor in real quick.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm going to get a bunch of them in across this episode. Uh, so in August of 2011, TV director Brian Kirk uh, from such shows as The Tudors, Boardwalk Empire, and most importantly, Game of Thrones, entered negotiations to possibly direct it. Um, and an interesting note about Kirk is that he's the director of the upcoming 21 Bridges film starring Chadwick Boseman, uh, which is the first film from the Russo brothers' new uh, production company. And uh, they've also got got films, uh, a film called DACA starring Chris Hemsworth in the works and then another one called Cherry starring Tom Holland. So they're really (laughs) pulling from their MCU experience. But then uh, Kirk dropped out and Patty Jenkins, uh, best known for the film Monster, which won uh, Charlize Theron her Oscar, uh, was hired to direct the film. Um, I heard that uh, Natalie Portman uh, really campaigned to get her on board and was really, really uh, looking forward to working with her. Uh, But just two months later in December, Jenkins left the film due to creative differences. She said, I don't think I could have made a good movie out of Thor 2. I don't think I could have made a good movie out of Thor 2 because I wasn't the right director. And I don't think I would have been in the running for Wonder Woman as a result. And that's one of the reasons I'm glad I didn't do it. Because I I could have made a great Thor if I had done the story I I was wanting to do. But I don't think I was the right person to make a great Thor out of the story they wanted to do. And later she said, She said, I pitched them that I wanted to do Romeo and Juliet. I wanted Jane to be stuck on earth and Thor to be stuck where he is and Thor to be forbidden to come and save Jane because earth doesn't matter. And then by coming to save her, they end up discovering that Malekith is hiding the dark energy inside of earth because he knows that Odin doesn't care about earth. And so he's using them. O- U- so he's using Odin's disinterest in earth to trick him. And so it was like, I wanted it to be a grand movie based on Romeo and Juliet, a war between the gods and the earthlings and Thor saves the day and ends up saving the earth. Which is weird because that's that's the movie we got. So I'm wondering what changed. Yeah, like because that's pretty much exactly what happens in the movie.
1: It is, but I think like emphasis are placed in different things, and I bet it would have like the the
0: forbidden totally love, probably very different,
1: probably very different. And then when you think about like Jane and Thor get reunited pretty quickly, I'm betting she had them. Separate for a lot longer, and there was a lot more like, dr- like just emotional drama and lack of action for extended periods of time and stuff. Yeah, uh,
0: Natalie Portman was wasn't at all happy about Jenkins leaving. I uh, reportedly she had only signed on to the film after Jenkins was hired, uh, and then only stayed on because she was contract contractually obliged to. Um, so Marvel then started looking for looking at two other Game of Thrones directors, Alan Taylor and Daniel Minahan. Uh, Taylor went out and was hired. Um, he's had a very celebrated clear, uh, career in television, working on such shows as The Sopranos, Deadwood, Boardwalk Empire, and the aforementioned Game of Thrones. Uh, a lot of HBO stuff. The one episode of Game of Thrones that I know he did was the uh, the, f- the finale of the, f- of the first season of Game of Thrones. And I think he also did an episode in the final season. Uh, screenwriter Robert Rodat uh, from such films as Saving Private Ryan and The Patriot was hired to rewrite Payne's script. Uh, also, Christopher Yost, uh, who worked on a bunch of superhero animated shows, also came on to write. Uh, he was also a writer on uh, Star Wars Rebels. Nice. And then finally, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely came over from Captain America the First Avenger to write the film. Marcus and McFeely and Yost have the final screenplay credits, with uh, Payne and Rodat sharing uh, story by credits. Also, during filming, Joss Whedon would occasionally come over from working on Age of Ultron to help with bits that weren't working. Alan Taylor said, Joss came in to save our lives a couple of times. We had, made, we, we had a major scene that was not working on the, on the page at all in London, and he basically got airlifted in like a SWAT team or something. He came down, rewrote the scene, and before he got back on his plane, I sort of grabbed him and said, and this scene, and this scene? <laughs> and he rewrote two other scenes that I thought had problems. And then finally we let go of him. He took off again, and we shot the scenes, and they were, and they were just much better, much lighter on their feet, much more fun, much more surprising than what we had been trying to do.
1: So for the film's cast, uh, most of the first film's cast returned. However, uh, Joshua Dallas, who had played Fandral uh, in the first one, had to drop out due to commitments to Once Upon a Time.
0: Not Fandral.
1: I know, that one guy. Uh, He was replaced by Zachary Levi, who had actually been their first choice for the film uh, originally, but had been unavailable to film the first one. Uh, For the film's villain, uh, Malekith, everybody's favorite MCU villain, uh, Mads Mikkelsen was approached, but wasn't able to join because of scheduling conflicts with Hannibal, which is a fantastic show. Also, everybody should watch it.
0: So we're not going to hear from him again. <laughs>
1: yeah, he'll he'll never be around.
0: It, it is funny how many actors like come up in early discussions for certain MCU things, and then always seem to find their way back in later on. Because it's
1: only you know it only gets bigger and bigger <laughs> as as it went on. So I, mean,
0: I guess eventually all actors are going to be in, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah.
1: So yeah, the role instead went to Christopher Eccleston, and this was a role he later regretted along with several other roles he had accepted in big-budget Hollywood films. Uh, There's a quote where he said, Working on something like G.I. Joe is horrendous. I just wanted to cut my throat every day. And Thor, just a gun in your mouth. Gone in 60 Seconds was a good experience. Nate Cage is a gentleman and a fantastic actor. But G.I. Joe and Thor were, I really paid for being a whore those times. (laughs) And I'm, I didn't try to do it, but just imagine all of that in Eccleston's accent. It would be, in, it'd be even better. Yeah.
0: He seems to be the kind of actor that gets into a lot of trouble on sets Because, you know, he had to leave uh, Doctor Who after the first season. He's a great doctor, but... Uh...
1: I, I finally need to get around to watching that because I feel like I'd like his take. For Malekith's uh, main goon, the Curse, or or Curse, I guess, is what he's credited as. Uh, Adewale Akinoye Agbaje.
0: We'll that was see, very good.
1: <laughs> we'll see how that works. Hopefully it wasn't horrendous. Uh was hired. Is, did
0: you just sound that out or do you have to go online and find it?
1: I sounded it out in a way that felt right. We'll see if I got it at all. I'll go and I'll go and play the sound on Google and see how close I got. Jonathan Howard plays the hapless interns intern Ian. Uh it's a fun little role for a little bit. Uh, then for a number of cameos, Chris O'Dowd plays Richard, an unsuccessful suitor for Jane. Chris Evans has a brief cameo when Loki mimics Captain America. Uh, Benicio del Toro appears in the post credit scene uh, that was actually filmed by Guardians of the Galaxy director James Gunn. Uh, Tony Curran plays Boar, Odin's father. Uh, and then coming over from Game of Thrones, Clive Russell, the Blackfish, plays an Asgardian ca- uh, captain. And then, of course, Stan Lee cameos as a mental ward patient.
0: So the film began in September of 2012. Alan Taylor brought over cinematographer Kramen Morgenthau from his Game of Thrones episodes to serve as DP. Uh, Bournewood in Surrey, England, stood in for Vanaheim. And every every time I hear Surrey, I think, those boys threw that enchanted from to Surrey and back last night. <laughs> Several locations in Iceland uh, that I cannot pronounce uh, stood in for Svartalheim. The climactic battle was shot at the old Royal Naval College in Greenwich, as well as several other locations in and around London.
1: During editing, they decided to beef up Loki's role with reshoots. Uh, and Tony Coran's role as Boar was also done in reshoots. Uh, and it's actually possible that the entire prologue was a reshoot.
0: Which would explain why you have the prologue and then Odin giving all the exact same information in that picture work. Yeah. And also... The direction directing style is a lot different in that prologue. It's a lot more energetic, a lot more... It actually actually felt a lot like Kenneth uh, Kenneth Branagh's action direction from the first film. So I wonder if, like, uh, Alan Taylor came back, you know, a lot more confident in this kind of scale and then shot that sequence after he had done the whole film.
1: Like Iron Man 3 before it, Marvel opted to have a new sound for this post-Avengers Thor film, uh, which is sad. Taylor brought on Carter Burwell, Uh, But he soon exited due to creative differences with Marvel.
0: Sounds familiar.
1: (laughs) Yeah. One of the many points of contention between uh, Taylor and Marvel during post-production. Brian Tyler was then brought over from Iron Man 3 to write the film's music and craft new themes for the character and world. Uh, Iranian singer Azam Ali provided vocals for the score. Uh, And Tyler also provided the music for the MCU logo sequence. Uh, a sequence that appeared in front of all of the MCU films until Age of Ultron. <laughs> and that's actually probably my favorite track from what he scored for The Dark World. Yeah, and then uh, during editing, there were apparently a lot of conflicts between Taylor and the studio. Uh, as best as we can tell, the studio wanted the movie trimmed down to move faster, similar to what happened with The Incredible Hulk.
0: Which are like the, probably the two shortest MCU films, like they're both under two hours.
1: Yeah, uh, there's a quote from Taylor where he said, I've learned that you don't make a $170 million movie with someone else's money and not have to collaborate a lot. The Marvel experience was particularly wrenching because I was sort of given absolute freedom while we were shooting, and then in post, it turned into a different movie. So that is something I hope never to repeat and don't wish upon anybody else. Uh, two elements that we know were removed with some backstory and character stuff for Malekith. Because none remains. Yeah, for real. Uh, (laughs) golly, what a fun conversation we'll have about him after this. As well as a subplot involving the street kids from London who discovered the portals, wandering through and exploring in in other worlds. Taylor was also unhappy with Gunn's post credit scene leading into Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, though apparently he wasn't aware Gunn had directed it, and was very careful to say that he didn't blame Gunn uh, for it while complaining.
0: Yeah, which is a funny interview. Like, I've heard a couple of interviews. He doesn't know who directed it, and he goes and complains. About yeah, I don't blame Gun, but I, yeah, I don't like it at all.
1: Yeah, I saw a lot of complaints about it, uh, just like from random moviegoers. So I guess we'll talk about that. Uh, finally, the film was released on November 8th, uh, 2013, alongside the book Thief and About Time.
0: And funnily enough, I just watched About Time for the first time uh, last week. It's a great, great really great rom-com.
1: I I hear great things, so I need to check it out. Yeah.
0: Um. So, do you remember your first time viewing James, and uh, what has your relationship with this movie been like over the past few years?
1: Yeah. So I watched it. It was just me and my dad, and this was again like post Avengers, post me being a huge fan, and I had a fantastic first experience with Iron Man three. So I was super high on the MCU at this point, and I actually really loved this the first time I saw it. Uh, I got out and I was like, "This is even better than Iron Man three. This is amazing. This post Avengers world keeps getting better." Uh, yeah, I was really over the moon about it. And then, and I remember reading all of the negative reactions and being like, "These people are crazy." But
0: there were also a lot of positive reactions. Like, look, "This is a, this is a lot better than the first one."
1: There was that, but like, I guess I, like a lot of the, my go to places, it was like six out of ten, averagely. And so I was just thinking, like, these people must be crazy. I don't know what movie they watched. So, yeah, I really loved it. And then on rewatches, I became less and less interested to where there was a time where I hadn't seen any Marvel movie for a bit. And when I was recalling them, I couldn't, re- like like Becky mentioned, I couldn't remember anything about this movie and so it just kind of slowly drifted away and slowly drifted further and further down my list. Uh and so that's kind of what my relationship has been with it, is just this huge spike in love on the first viewing, and then slowly less and less love with every subsequent viewing and to the point where I now I'm I'm pretty ambivalent about it.
0: Yeah, so I also I enjoyed it when the first time I saw it. I didn't love it. Uh but I do remember starting to get a little worried about the state of the MCU at this point. You, know, you had the Avengers which was this like transcendent experience and then two films that while I enjoyed them both definitely weren't the Avengers and you know they weren't quite what I had come to expect from the MCU or, or really what what I was you know hoping for long term. You know this is obviously before the the, the one two punch of uh Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy. Um so yeah, it brought a lot of concerns about the MCU, and then you know, as the MCU went on, and I rewatched this like similar to you, as I rewatched it, like each time, I just got like a little less interested. Till, um by the by the time I did the big rewatch before Infinity War, it would have it was the only MCU film to drop below three stars, which is crazy, because you know, you know, that would have been, like twenty films at that point. But yeah, it, it was the one only one that I w- you know wouldn't say I I, I like liked. Um, so yeah, let's talk about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and before we get get into bashing the film, although there might be some bashing in this segment as well, um, one, one of the big things Marvel was trying to do here, you know, in, the, in courting at least three that we know of Game of Thrones directors was trying to dirty up Asgard, but, you know, make it a bit more gritty, more epic, more like, probably like Lord of the Rings-ish, um, you know, Branagh's take is very shiny and happy and glitzy and just very nice and pretty. And so, with this film, you see that there's a very concerted effort to try and make Asgard seem more realistic. You know, we go in like the first shot of Asgard after we swoop through the outside, we literally like go under the ground and like we're seeing like people underneath the cities and like we get to see the common folk and like soldiers practicing in these bunch of courtyards and taverns it's, like. We're really getting into the kind of the heart of the city and seeing that it's actually a real place and not just this shiny Olympus like, you know, home of the gods that we saw in the first film. Um, and just as an, from a purely aesthetic point of view, I think that's pretty successful. Like, I think it, it does. It feels like a lot more like a real place. I think just as a vision of a world, it's pretty consistent. Um, like I, I, I appreciate the attempt. I'll get into later whether I think it was a good attempt, but I, I think it's fairly as, you know, as far as Taylor doing what he was asked to do, I think he does it pretty well.
1: Yeah, I think, I think Asgard looks pretty cool. I definitely get that kind of Lord of the Rings Game of Thrones vibe from the visuals. A lot of firelight and kind of stuff. Yeah, a lot of like ember glow on, on characters' faces and stuff. Um, it's, it's uh, I, I really, I like a lot of what he does with Asgard. Um, but something that I didn't really like is the lack of... Because they did grittier there, and then the moments on Earth are in like just... Super ri- Yeah, like there's, you know, overcast London. There's no juxtaposition of visuals. I think there's a lot of reasons as to why this movie isn't super memorable for me. And one of the reasons for me is if I just like try to recall the dark world... I just get the color gray in my head like that's all that's all i think about and because of, yeah there's just there's no real variety and so it's you know we've got this okay cool gritty looking uh asgard which feels you know neat and and different enough and then you know this this very gray drab dull looking like depiction of london and then even like the worlds that we go to like where loki quote-unquote dies which is, is, is just, just yeah spartle it's just Every place we go, every everywhere looks the same. Even the battle uh, I forget where uh, where uh, like Hogan's vanheim is. Vanaheim. They all like
0: that's it's, it's slightly just slightly green but also fairly fairly toned down.
1: Yeah, it's just, I don't know, the whole so like I, I appreciate what he did when it came to Asgard in trying to, you know not 'cause as as awesome as Branham made it look, it all it didn't really feel real and lived in. It was like here's a snapshot of like this overly idyllic kind of cool looking place, but this was more of like here's the here's the place that people live, and so I like that.
0: And it, it, it's also like in the first film, like that I think that that very glamorous view was was part and parcel with the tone of the film. Whereas this film is trying to muddy up Asgard a bit, you know, morally as well, you know, with with the way they. Use the character of odin so it, i guess it works thematically as well in that front uh but not to complain about <laughs> alan taylor's director of style um you can really tell he's a tv director especially in the battle sequences it's like that, that opening battle sequence on vanaheim is so boring it's like it, it's directed like like a tv battle like a tv medieval battle where it's just a lot of still shots that are just like, you know, a lot of cutting. Very, There's just, there's no sense of a sequence. It's just this person's, you know, hack slash, cut to this person, hack slash, another person hacking and slashing. And it's just that randomly added together. It never feels like, oh, we're building this leads to that, this leads to that. And that's, that's a problem we have with the, like, the action all throughout the film. But in that sequence in particular, it's, it's just dull.
1: It's weird because I've, I've heard the action in Game of Thrones is really great.
0: Well, there's, there's, you know, thirty, forty directors in Game of Thrones. That's true. Um,
1: Yeah, my my issue, especially with this first sequence, is it feels so needlessly contained. Like, there's absolutely no exploring the geography. We're on a new world, a new planet. Like to me, every time we're we're going to a new place that we haven't seen. Like, you've got to give it, tell us this, show us this world, explore this world, and to do so in battle is like the most exciting way to do it. But it's it feels like they just for whatever reason decide to contain themselves to like a 50 square yard area and contain all the action there. Like even when the camera's pulled back to its farthest, it looks like the battle is this this tiny little skirmish where nobody dares to like step outside of these lines and the I, I, the whole thing just feels so small.
0: And and I think that drab TV kind of direction kind of applies to the entire film. I, I, the exception I would give would be the the uh, the invasion the uh, dark elves invasion of Asgard, but other than that, it's like just a lot of tripod shots, um, with you know, just like a lot of cutting, very very little camera movement, very little inspired shots. It just it just feels like you said contained, like he and 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 there's no there's really no point in the film. where like that, that's bad direction or it's it's no, like actively annoying me. But just the the effect on the entire film is it just feels so small and uninspired from a visual perspective. Yeah. And normally I would just move into discussing the story, but I don't know that this film has a story. (laughs) Uh, Like, there is a plot, The Dark Elves awaken, Jane finds, for some reason, is drawn to the ether, you know, something that's never explained. And then they fight, and then Thor makes a really stupid plan, his plan screws up, and then they go to a stop, like, there's a plot, but there's no story underneath. There's no meaning attached to it. I think that's the that's the the fatal flaw with this film. You have a sub a great subplot with Loki and Thor, and you know mending their relationship. But there's no larger themes. There's no long larger you know ideas. This film just has no core identity. It has a couple subplots that have thematic stuff. But it's just the dark elves bring no no thematic challenge. They have no motivations, like still don't understand what exactly they
1: want. They want to align portals and make mist go through the portals. It's cl- it's just simple. Dark like
0: because it's in their name, I guess. Yeah.
1: Honestly, um, I don't see what you're complaining about. That's incredibly. Yeah. Like, do,
0: are you, do you find any kind of through line with this film? <sighs> Not really. Like,
1: I don't know. It's I feel like the actual plot on paper, if if you just find like the conflicts going on, well, you definitely need to beef up the motivations and just everything about the Dark Elves. But with what Thor is going through, I feel like you could find one. You could look for one, not find one as is in the script, but you could find a way to implement one. I think it would also kind of work well with what I was talking about with the first Avengers of like, Thor's conflict, maybe if they, if they wanted to give him more, they could have had him reconciling with having to you know, just re or, or learn how to live in a new way where he's, he's having to live with the consequences of accepting responsibility, uh, while, and now one of the consequences would be, or like maybe a, not a real consequence, but a consequence that, um, Odin is trying to say exists would be you can't think about Earth you can't think about these other places you have accepted your responsibility to be king you have accepted your responsibility to your people you got to you know you you've got to put them first and then I don't know just find something to work with that and I I like a lot of the of what they do with Odin here I like seeing him kind of be the arrogant king for a bit
0: I don't <laughs> okay okay you talking I think I, I, I there are it brought back something to my to mind of an interview with uh, Taylor where someone asked him about Hogan's character and like, did he leave the story so early because of the, you know, schedule issues? He said, no, the reason that Hogan leaves is because he's, he is, he is being, you know, he's following his heart and being where his heart tells him to be. And that's supposed to reflect against Thor's choice in the end to follow his heart and, you know, go where his heart is, which, I guess, goes to show how you know, badly thought out the film was that, that, that everyone just assumed, oh, he, he wasn't available for scheduling, and he was only able to, to be there for one scene. But apparently not. Like, apparently, there's supposed to be some kind of them- thematic uh purpose to that choice. And I, get, I guess, uh, yeah, throughout the film, we do have Thor being kind of a jerk, um, you know, talking why do you pine after Earth when what you have is right in front of you with that, with that stupid like love triangle? They're sort of, but not really hinting at between uh Sif, Jane and Thor and then him just being a jerk, you know, calling he just called me a goat. <laughs> and then the the conflict they have in the middle which is stupid because Odin is actually totally right there uh to the final scene where Thor says like, you know, I'd rather be a good man than a great king, so I can't be king. Um peace out Asgard and go to hell and for all I care Loki can destroy it and it was getting to right rock. <laughs> uh It's like there's that that, that's an idea, but it's not really there's no it's that each it each isolated sequence doesn't really connect to the other, and there's no actual like the statement, I'd rather be a good man than a great king, is like in direct contradiction to the 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 end of the first movie. like you know, there will never be a wiser king than you. Like, you're 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 awesome, father. Thank you for the lessons you've taught me, and you know, respect and hugs and all that all around, and now like. Oh no, if you're going to be a king, you have to be corrupt and I don't want to dirty my hands or soul or whatever. I don't that's
1: that's it's what's just, so frustrating to me about the line is the the false dichotomy. And it's it is because like what what we both love about franchises is being able to explore and develop singular themes and ideas and characters across many films. And so I get that, you know, you want to tell your story when you're the writer and director brought on to the new movie and this and that and blah blah blah. But like you have to understand what's come before. And what came before was a reconciling of father and son, an understanding an under like the a first unification of purpose. Yes, yeah, a unification of purpose. And a statement that in like it feels like the film was saying in order to be a great king, you must be a good man.
0: Mm-hmm. Then you miss the truth of ruling brother. Exactly. The throne you ill,
1: And there you go. So, and, and yeah, even though he, there wasn't a whole bunch of uh, Avengers with, with Thor, you still get like reiterations of that theme. And so for the dark world to come and be like, well, I'm not going to be like you. I'm going to be a good man. It's like, and, okay, well, whatever. Uh,
0: on top of it being a total false dichotomy, it's stupid because the conflict that they have between Thor and Odin of whether or not to, you know, Wait here and allow the dark elves to come to us or take the ether to him. Odin is totally right. Thor's plan was really stupid and he literally handed the ether to to Malekith. And if it weren't for some luck, like in finding a cell, like just stumbling onto the one place that happened to have the portal, Malekith would destroy the universe. Whereas if they had followed Odin's plan, all they have to do is stall for about twenty four hours. The convergence passes, and the the galaxy all good. And we already know that that Asgard is way stronger than the elves because they beat the elves when they were at full power in the opening sequence. And that and now it's just one renegade ship left over from the entire Dark Elf Empire, and we have the whole might of Asgard. So it's just it's dumb because it does the the sequence, the argument, the conflict they have in order to prove that. That odin has become corrupted and is whatever careless with asgardian lives is 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 the the, the film is on the wrong side of reality and it's just it's just not even suffer enough to realize that
1: it, the, an issue i have with that scene is like the way it's played i like the way that that uh odin is played arrogant i I root against him in the moment just because of the acting and the attitude and the and the writing and stuff. But you're right, like in the, the bigger picture scale, he is right. And that's that's the problem in the scene is is it's portraying him in a way that does elicit the right response from me in the moment. And then up, upon reflection, that's when you realize the logic of the the scene and what it's telling you to think is is kind of ridiculous and poorly thought out.
0: And so that's why, which makes the whole choice to, to muddy Odin so just irritating for me. They, they, he was portrayed as the why the wise good king. And sure, like, if you want to make oh he's made mistakes and reveal mistakes in the past or past sins or, or something, it's just it's like right from the very opening where he's so arrogant and and about Jane. You know they don't matter. Their human lives are nothing at all. It's just. Who is this guy? And where's my Odin? I don't know. It's just that, like, that kind of pure All Father wisdom that that yeah that, that was his character in the first film is just kind of gone.
1: That's true. I I think maybe my my enjoyment of that portrayal just be, comes from in the moment reaction. Like, I really love Hopkins' portrayal in this. Like,
0: I thought he was actually kind of bad.
1: <laughs> oh man. I I think he's really really good here. I th- I think the scenes with him taken outside of what we know about him are really really well done and really interesting. Uh, aside from like the the his his plan being the the one that makes more sense despite the film telling us it shouldn't. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I I think he's his performance itself though I think is really good. <laughs>
0: And this is wrong with the subject of performances. I, th- I think I fig- finally figured out why Thor never worked between the first Thor and Ragnarok. Like, and, I, and I think he, he functions well enough in uh, the Avengers. But I, I realize it's that sparkle, that freaking wink that he gives Frigga at his coronation. That is why Thor from the first film is so delightful. There is just a spark and playfulness. This guy kind of just this witty, or no, this just joyful love of life that he carries around with him throughout that entire film, where he's just having fun and like I'm just he's glad to be here, and he's gonna just you know enjoy himself, you know and. That's gone. That never really shows back up after that first film. You know, we have the Avengers where he's, you know, he's serious. But he's rightfully serious. So he's coming after his brother. That, that works. But going forward, we never see that. Maybe until the later films, which are kind of where they, where they essentially recreate his character. But in like up until then, you know, the, the Dark World, Age of Ultron, all of that sparkle is gone. He's just, I'm Thor. I'm serious. I have the weight of responsibility on my shoulders, and I'm gonna. You know he has jokes, but that 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 insane gleeful happiness is gone out of him.
1: It almost makes me wonder if Branagh got to direct the second one if if Hemsworth would have had that complaint because I just I can't watch the first Thor and and hear Hemsworth's complaints and see that lining up like it, to me it he's he's got to be thinking about the Dark World and Age of Ultron, and I, I think to me what makes it even more frustrating is it doesn't feel like a deliberate choice with a point you know mm. it's like
0: I just—it I just, yeah, feels like a writer and director who just didn't miss that bit
1: yeah it, it it's like they did to him what they wanted them to do to asgard it's like hey we want this to be more serious all right more somber more gritty and it came at the cost of like understanding who he was in the first film and the thing like you could take a lot of the joy from him you could make him doubt you could you can make it a gloomier version of Thor if you've got a yeah, point.
0: Infinity War Thor.
1: Yeah, there you go. It's and uh, spectacular. I love it. And and that's the thing. Like there, it was a point, and it was still Thor. And you're like he's never fought me. Oh, he's never fought me twice. It's like there's there's a level of like sorrow in it, but it's still Thor. Um, and it, and again, it, it there's there's a point being made of you we know this guy we know how cheery he is we know how like just the exuberant love and excitement that that lives in him and it you know it it make it have an impact if we see that version of the character just carrying the weight of the world but the way he's played here is it's almost played like this is who he always has been so now it means nothing
0: Mm -hmm. and i i also think i figured out why thor doesn't doesn't work nearly as well as cap and iron man i think it's a bit of kind of like authorship because the first two films robert downey jr essentially create completely created the character of iron man from or tony stark from scratch like literally on set throughout the entire both films him and you know favreau and, and his co-stars would just sit down and essentially write out the day's dialogue every day it was like this kind of independent film. so like robert downey jr created the character of Tony Stark, and he he was able to carry that forward. Like, I you know if I, you know going forward, like if if a director asked him to do something, you know he he could probably push back, and you know also he's the fifty million dollars star. Like he he had a sense of authorship with that character, and as the kept, I think the reason Captain America's remained so consistent is because you've either had Marcus and McFeely or Joss Whedon writing the character, and Joss Whedon is a brilliant genius, and he's very good at character, so he he got the character and. And was able to you know, carry the mantle, and then on the other films, Marcus feel the guys who created the character, had him, and that with Thor you don't have that. I guess you had the, who, who I forget who wrote the first Thor. Then you had Joss Whedon who does an okay job, and then you have the guys who wrote this film. Then you have you know Joss Whedon again, and, and Joss Whedon, I think he said that he you know he's not very good with Thor. It's his least favorite character. Then you have Ragnarok, which is his own complete entirely unique portrayal of Thor. And then you have Avengers in you know, Infinity War and Endgame, which are a different you know, portrayal of Thor from from even Ragnarok. Like the character is like he just kind of takes on a new identity with each each different writer. And there's like and I guess you know he didn't ha- he didn't have a strong enough impact in that first film to set his character in stone. So he's kind of drifted around whereas like all the other great great characters were able to somehow maintain a sense of identity. I think, I think a lot of that was by you know having the same writers. Like I think Blackwood is kind of the same thing. You had either Joss Whedon or Marcus and McFeely and the Russos is behind her. And like, you can, you, you can see that consistency of character. Whereas other, whereas I think Thor just kind of somehow got lost in the stream.
1: Yeah. He definitely feels like he's, there's no, what, what's funny to me. And this is going to be talking like less just about this particular movie and more just about Thor in general. It's funny that despite there not really being that one continuous arc, Like, I think Tony's arc across the whole series, I think, is fantastic and feels, in retrospect, just feels so perfect and fluid with the exception of what we talked about with with the Iron Man 3 thing. Um, But overall, just like his, the emotion of the character works so well. What's weird to me with Thor is that despite the fact that they're not really being consistent with one idea, they keep repeating the same, which is like earning kingship and ruling your people and then peacing out and following your heart and then earning kingship and ruling your people and then piecing out and following your heart and your new bud your new space buds like it's just yeah, it's you- weird like they like okay these are what can you do with the king you can either have like it, it to me it seems like they see two options like a king either earns his right to rule and rules as a good king or he he sees it as something either that he's not worthy of or something that he's that doesn't suit him and he's got he finds needs elsewhere so he declines the throne so like acceptance of the throne or decline of the throne let's just keep repeating these ideas and it's just really repetitive and and every time it's not like it's not like a new iteration that still has like the same dna of what it was before it's like well i'm gonna try that this time and it's it's like the other versions never happen and it's just constant recreations
0: yeah and i i think that issue with the acting goes on to like the one of the main plots of this film is the relationship between uh jane foster and thor i think it's kind of terrible in this movie like they didn't have the most amazing relationship in the first Thor, but i thought it, it coasted by because of you know Chris Hamsworth's insane charm. And I think uh, Natalie Portman was really committed in that first film. It was a pretty thin character, but she had that kind of spunk and drive. Like you believe that she was kind of this obsessive, kind of nerdy, awkward scientist who was just like driven after this thing. And it's so, like you bought it. Cause like they're both like fun, perky people and you like seeing them together. Whereas here Thor's lost all his, you know, all that kind of glimmer and shine and fun and Natalie Portman hates being here. So when they're together and they're supposed to be romantic, it means nothing. It also doesn't help that you know my biggest issue with the first film is that their relationship ha- you know is built over the course of a weekend. And then I, hey, I said in that film, they you know, should. When you
1: look like they do. That's all you need. Yeah,
0: yeah. So coming that that reunion has no weight. Like you just, it just doesn't mean anything. Like they ha- they have no chemistry in this film. The dramatic dialogue is really weak. Neither character seems to be like neither actor really seems to be like giving it their all. It just doesn't. It's not good. They also just
1: don't seem like they like each other. (laughs) Like the movie just, which is like, where were you in New York?
0: You don't. Which is that 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 thing is also stupid. Like he like he couldn't send a messenger. He couldn't ask his buddies at Shield. Like like I don't see how he came to Earth, fought in the Avengers, and didn't tell anyone. Tell Jade, I'm going to be back. I love her. And he also he ha, he's had the Bifrost for a while. He's he he's he's spending his evenings partying in Asgard. The Bifrost is pretty you know instant travel. It's, it's not like it would t- it would take him away from his his crime fighting to go and you know t- go in, in in one of the evenings and tell her what's up. It just doesn't make any sense.
1: And that's another thing. It's and you know this is a problem kind of inherited from the Avengers. But just the complete lack of consequences to destroying the Bifrost in Thor one really hurts. Because mm-hmm. they have to make this feel they have to make it feel like a reunion. But you just went through all the reasons of why it, this should not have been a long and like long in the making reunion. It's there's there's no reason you know, we have the line in passing like, oh, how much black magic or whatever, blah blah blah. And then here, well it I mean it doesn't matter how much now that line doesn't even make sense here because the Bifrost is back
0: and we're just zipping on over to wherever we want. And it didn't even need to be back because they barely use it. They only use it in that first the first scene where Thor goes to Earth and then takes her back. And I think another issue is I don't like I don't I, don't, I hate to keep bagging out until I think you know, he's a competent director. I think if he had a good script, he could execute it really well. Like there's nothing like egregious about his direction, but he doesn't bring any kind of wonder. Like literally when Jane comes you know, flies in the Bifrost back to, to Asgard, the instant they get to the Bifrost, they cut to her on a table. There's no sequence. I've heard just like walking through Asgard. Oh my gosh, I'm in the realm of the freaking gods. Like there's just, it's just not there. There's, there's no wonder about the film. There's no just joy in, in being here. Yeah. It's all just the very business, like from one point to the, you know, one boring plot point to the next. I guess
1: just on on the subject of, of his direction, I, I'll try to spin this to be positive. Uh, one sequence that I do enjoy is the escape from Asgard scene. Um, that is mainly
0: due to Tom Hiddleston,
1: um, <laughs> but I think it's a fun enough scene, like just a, a as a chase. That's scene.
0: probably where Whedon had some input.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> it's just all all fast retorts and stuff. It's
0: got energy
1: yeah. um but yeah it's it's a fun scene the the viking spaceship uh, visuals are really cool
0: yeah just it's a, a boat with an like a real Taylor. That, like, he does i think taylor has a lot of great ideas and like world the the, the knife ships of the the dark elves their black hole grenades like this, like some of their just some of the design stuff like i think he has good ideas i just don't know if he like he doesn't showcase them all that
1: well uh but just within the context of this one scene though i think it has what i think a lot of the other most of the other action scenes don't have which is some semblance of energy like the camera he's not doing too much with the camera but i think just having the benefit of being able to show the background whizzing by to you know give the illusion of speed and then like consistently intercutting like with you know as we if we make contact with the statue, we, as, as Loki says, decapitate your grandfather.
0: And, you know, for whatever issues I have with him, Hemsworth, with Hemsworth's performance, when he's with Hiddleston, he comes alive.
1: There. So this will bring me to my biggest high about the movie. Is this is probably my favorite Hiddleston performances. Well, he's perfect across it, but just this is my favorite, like point A to point B depiction of Loki. Uh, I just every single time he's on screen, there is something awesome. Like, there's some mm. fantastic line, some amazing reaction, something going on that's that's really great within. So within that scene, just having him tied up consistently, like insulting Thor, uh, commenting about everything. He's one of the for some reason just a line that I love. Oh dear, is she dead? <laughs> is it that one exactly? Uh, something about the delivery that's amazing now they're following us now they're firing (laughs) at us and like after they you know they they teleport and everything and they're at spartle wherever um, (laughs) ta-da which is also a great line that little like that that confrontation they kind of have with each other there is is amazing really really good and it, it they feel so much like brothers. Like whenever uh, Thor is like, a, she wouldn't want this. And he, he just says, "You know, well, she wouldn't exactly be surprised. There's something about the look he gives there. As one, one of the greatest moments of just facial acting ever. Which uh, when it, Whenever, as he says that line, whenever he's like, she wouldn't be surprised. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of has that like, that, that look like almost asking you to be sympathetic to him. Like he's like like just understand like she understood who I am like understand like this is I don't know it's it's not being confrontational and it's not just begging for or for, for pity. I, I, there's there's just something he's able to say with his face there that just is that
0: incredible. line trust my rage, mm. it's a chef's kiss. It's perfect. Um, but yeah, I think like. Loki, every the things between Loki and Thor is perfect. It's the just the best possible continuation of his arc from you know from Thor the Avengers to Thor the Dark World. Like Loki has a fantastic arc. You know, too bad it's like a B-plot in this film, and but it's just so good. And to like to see the character, you know. You know, he's having to finally you know face the consequences for his actions and like that scene with, with, with him and Odin, like every scene with Loki and other people is great in this movie. With with Odin, you know, it was my birthright. Your birthright was to die. Or when, when he's with uh, Rene Renee Russo. And Renee Russo, she only gets like two scenes before she dies, but she's really she's really good in her scene with Loki, and he's not my father, and am I not your mother? And he like you see that pause and it says, You're not. It's like Loki cannot help but just twist the knife into somebody like he has to hurt other people, even though like when it's killing him, like he lo- he clearly loves his mother. He wants her company. He wants her to be there, but he has to, in his own like twisted, psychotic way, he has to be also attack her and like protect himself despite the fact no one's attacking him. It's, it's so, it's so good. and, and using you know the loss of his mother as the, the joining force, and I love the line that Loki says you know, that, that Thor says to him before they leave prison. You know, you should know that when we fought each other in the past, I did so with a faint hope that that my brother was still in there. That hope no longer exists. And he's talking about you know, um, I, I, I offer you vengeance and not, vengeance, and then this cell. Like he's just like very clear. Like I know you're a terrible, irredeemable person, but I know you also love my mother. So you know we're going to work together. Then I'm going to throw you back in the cell, and it's just like. Their relationship is so well defined, and yet, as they go, you can just tell by the way they fight each other, that they love each other. Like th- that scene you mentioned, like they so clearly have these deep feelings for each other, and Thor is open about that, but Loki just has to keep attacking and keep poking him. And by this time, I think you know Thor has finally learned how to resist him and just push him away, and and, and going from there into that confrontation with Malekith and the Ether. I think it is is like a really per- perfect character writing because literally both things that happen, like either Loki joining with Thor and protect you know protecting Jane and going in to avenge his mother, that works perfectly from a character perspective. Also, Loki betraying Thor and betraying Asgard works perfectly from a character perspective. They could have gone either way, and the character is so well realized that Both would be believable. That's just just great writing, and just anchored in that fantastic performance.
1: It is. It it does feel like, like Hiddleston is keeping this movie alive.
0: And then he dies, and so does the movie. Yeah, it's
1: true. Oh man, the movie really does get significantly less interesting from that point on.
0: Oh, dude, the shot where you know when. it's the musical sequence the funerals happening. It's all music. And it's, we see the guard giving um, Loki the news and he just kind of stands there. And that one shock of power is like all the, the stuff in the room is thrown oh, aside. That or, scene
1: is fantastic. When, um, that image. or Ugh, with, So good.
0: Yeah. Or with Thor um, comes to him and he's all prim and composed, like no more illusions. And the room fades and he's just sitting there like bleeding a mess on the floor. You really, you're know, really great visual storytelling. What else is there to talk about? <laughs> uh, I guess I'll talk about some more characters that I didn't really care for. Um, uh, Selvig was such a good, wonderful, pure human being in the first film. He's just a good dude, and now he's pantless for some reason, and I don't... Naked also. Why? I don't know. He's just got a good line, you know, I had a god in my brain. I wouldn't recommend it. My favorite but, part uh, from just, is, uh
1: <laughs> your brother's not coming, is he? Loki is dead. Oh, thank God.
0: <laughs> that was good. Like, Stellan Skarsgård is still great, even if the character's been, like, done very dirty. And I was like, Darcy, I loved Kat Dennings in the first film. She was, like, she was just, like, so fun and quirky and always had, like, a really weird line that was just kind of funny. They way overplay her here, and she's just kind of dumb. And and there, there's a thin line between, a for, with a quirky side character between kind of ridiculous and goofy and a bit dense and then just being dumb. And this lot, went way over that line yeah, in this and film. Like, The reason for that to me is,
1: you know, with the first one, even with its flaws, the reason that the movie is always a joy to watch and, and just fun to be with is the characters and the dynamic. You know, between Jane, Darcy, and Selvig, there is a sense of camaraderie and fun that – is guaranteed when they're there together, and now they have got Selvig is just a, a loon. Uh, Portman does not care and barely has any real scenes with Darcy. Anyways, all of like the comedic relief. But you got the intern. Yeah, there you, you got the intern. And the thing, the intern to the intern is a funny idea to me, but that just gets old real quick.
0: And I think the thing is, in the first film, Darcy was actually a very smart. She was a smart person. But she didn't care if other people thought her, she was smart. But also, she was entirely out of her element, and she, she was entirely comfortable being entirely out of her element. It was like it was this just kind of fun dynamic. And here she's just an idiot. I, another complaint between the first film, Idris Elba will always be epic and awesome. But they humanized him in this film in a way that I didn't like. I loved that just perfectly composed majesty and authority that he had, like where he he doesn't do anything. Yeah, he just radiates power and wisdom, and that's kind of gone. I think there's, there's probably some subtle voice modulation in the first film, and something about the stillness of that performance was so cool. And here he's just he's he's just still a Elba, so it's still cool, but he's just kind of a normal dude.
1: Yeah, just sitting at you at the table, just being one of the dudes. Uh, yeah, I. I'd, I'd... He has the one cool scene where he chases the, the ship and jumps on it. That <laughs> kills, scene, kills what, a spaceship
0: with a knife. Come on.
1: That scene's awesome. I don't care who anybody
0: Like that that's actually really, really cool. You're just following and pulling the two the twin daggers out and leaping onto an invisible spaceship. Like it's the it's like the definition of epic. Uh you know, and I, I think the entire invasion on Asgard is pretty decent. Um I think the curse the curse is a kind of horrifying villain like sucking really the life out of really people.
1: great prosthetics and costume design
0: yeah um i think the like i think killing renee or uh, killing frigga was a cheap was super cheap because she only had like two scenes before that and like half a scene in the first movie um and so like it but i think the actual scene where it happens is pretty good like right after she stabs her you hear thor scream and it kind of goes silent and like the, the the lightning like exploding off uh, Malachis' face. But that's and-
1: the scene to me where I appreciate like the decisions he makes as a director the most. That's the only time I'm like, oh look, you're you're adding these little flourishes. You're making these decisions that I that I'm really enjoying. So, it yeah, draining the sound, the slow mo of the like him falling off the out of the balcony and running to me. All, like it's a really really well done scene.
0: And uh, I, I do like that she she gets a really she does get that really badass moment where she takes uh, Malekith to town.
1: Yeah, yeah. The the funeral is also just like really beautifully shot, and the the music is haunting and beautiful.
0: Yeah, it cut. Yeah, you know, that's where they cut back to Loki and the fu- Loki with with that his reaction. Although the thing I was thinking was, and at last I see <laughs> the light, like as they like, went with the uh the kind of the floating candles or. The the orbs, like he—he he totally stole that from Tangled, but it's—it's it's beautiful in and Tangled. And it's, it's quite pretty here, despite the fact that we're not really attached to, forgot all that much. Uh, like it just brings us to Malekith. Who? What is there to say about? Mal- there's nothing to say about Malekith because there's nothing there. Like Christopher Eccleston is a wonderful actor, but the also, the choice to make all the elves speak, this. I guess Dark Elvic or whatever was really dumb because <laughs> they already have no personality, and now like they're not even speaking a la- the same language as us, so they're just like there's like there's no way to connect with them. Um, although the guy the the, the guy they got to create the uh, the elf language was the same guy who, who created like Dothraki for um for oh, wow. Game of Thrones. I, I think it was kind of a bad choice. <laughs> it was probably another one of the reasons why Eccleston hated rookie on this film because the choice to make them speak that is Elvic is Elvick a word? I don't know. The Elvish. choice to make them speak Elvish. I mean, the choice to make them speak Elvish was done like really late in the game. Like as Eccleston was flying in here, he arrived like, Oh wait, now you to learn all your lines in, in this foreign language. Yeah. It,
1: to, he's, this is why I got so defensive when you compared uh, old guy Pierce on the last episode to, to Malekith here. Cause as far this, as a
0: lack of like we, uh, motivation wise, not per, not performance there's, there's
1: a, even a if you even have semblance of emo, or of motivation
0: well then... he just he wants the dark That's a semblance i guess <laughs> ah, man
1: even calling that
0: like i like, how how do you exist before the universe was formed like how, and how do you survive the big bang <laughs> like, i there's
1: nothing like, what does your society look like what yeah like what what are you walking around did you all have armor did you all have culture before Existence—it's—it's of time. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Like the origin is ridiculous.
0: And like, can't you go into space and like? I'm sure you can like go inside of a nebula or somewhere and find darkness. <laughs> it's like,
1: no, it's, it's got to be like, the whole
0: universe. What like? How are they suffering? Like, what does the existence of light mean to them? <sighs> They're getting around
1: just fine. I
0: don't. I don't know. And just
1: about him himself. Like the design itself is cool. I think there's just the the white hair. And the pale skin and white eyes—it's a visually striking design.
0: And the masks on the soldiers are super creepy too.
1: Yeah, the the overall production design and costume design of all of that is really cool. But I I wonder, like, it just seems like the prosthetics that he wore and the costuming must have just been too stiff because but he's, the
0: character is so stiff.
1: So maybe it's just maybe it's a decision. But it, it feels like he can't move in it though. Like when he's talking, he's like barely, like he's bobbing his head up and down, but it's like never moving left and right. It's like the, it's freaking uh, Val Kilmer and George Clooney and that's <laughs> Batman, suit so where like they can't really move their neck at all. So I don't like, I don't know if it was just prosthetics and costuming that didn't line up right and he had no mobility, but he moves stiff. His speech is super stiff. It feels like he doesn't, like he's a fantastic actor, but it feels like he doesn't know the language it, everything he says feels deliberate and not in that like really purposeful intentional deliberate
0: i wonder why i like he didn't know the language <laughs>
1: exactly and that's what i'm saying i didn't know about that beforehand but so now I, I feel justified in my thoughts on this where it feels like you can almost see him thinking about the lines as he's delivering like and then this and then this and then this and the delivery is so boring the voice modulation is just really bland it's Everything about
0: the character is just... He's not even cool when he's fighting.
1: Yeah, because well, his fight, like, I can't even... I'm like Becky, you know, I watched this recently, and I can't even hardly re- remember, like, what it looked like for him to he fight. He shoots
0: ether goo at you.
1: And what the heck is the ether, anyways?
0: It's an Infinity Stone, <laughs> except it's not even a stone. Uh, yeah, it's, but like... it, it creates dark. If a dark elf wields it or something, I guess.
1: But, like, what is the. Because it also seems to have some sort of power
0: and intelligence.
1: Yeah, I, it's. Man, that's horrifically explained.
0: Yeah, it's just the, the whole final bad, like the fly fighting through portals is a really clever idea. Like the, the hammer trying to follow him through space, then having to come back to earth. And that is cool. Thor trying to have to you know, take the train back to Greenwich, which is <laughs> really funny. Like the girl falling into him and like, he gives that small smirk, <laughs> um, like this is good stuff here, but so little of it. It's just like when the dark elves are chasing Darcy and, uh, Ian or or Jaden and Selvig, and it's like they're just like going on this leisurely stroll, and like the, the dark elves are like leisurely stroll, like jogging behind them. It's like there's no whatever I I'm
1: just waiting to hear that. Like, as they're just like moving back and forth because it's such a trivial chase with no meaning. And they've got these magic s- spear things that. Oh my
0: god! Affect- like he literally says they're not. They they can't. They're not. You know they're meant to detect things, not cause them. Well, we're still going to use them to cause them, despite the fact that they, they, you literally said they can't be used for that. Uh, science spears never leave the house without them. <laughs> it's so dumb. Yeah, they didn't even remember to bring up. You killed, like, you kill my mother, you bastard. Prepare, prepare to die, like. They could, couldn't even be bothered to bring that, you know, wonderful, real good motivation into the climax. Nope, it had to be about stopping the convergence of the aether and the dark elves and darkness. What does this
1: movie? This movie explains the convergence like seven times. <laughs> this movie cares so much about it. It literally
0: has the. You know, as you mentioned earlier, you have the entire prologue explaining the dark elves, the aether, its power, the convergence, and then we, and then we literally have the almost almost like beat for beat dialogue because I it was it's odin narrating the, the prologue right yeah and then he, he's reading the, the the children's storybook to jane and it's literally just all the same information again
1: and then we get it from selvig in the the hospital or the the asylum and wherever it's at
0: if possible, I think the Warriors three get even less to do in this movie than they did in the first one.
1: Cause at least in the first one, there's, there's like a funny sense of, of charm to them. Like they're, they're fun to watch. They're not even fun to watch in this. Yeah. Movie.
0: But then they're going on, they're going on adventures with Thor. Then they're going to, you know, to rescue Thor. There's, Found you like there's stuff happening. Like it's, it's them. fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just like, I'm just desperately grasping for something to talk about with this movie. Cause there's no, uh, um, Guess Thor hanging his hammer on a on a coat on a, clo- a coat rack was pretty funny. Yeah. Anything else you want to mention? You think you're about ready to move into the score?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's there's not really anything else left to feel strongly about.
0: Yeah. Um. So about the score, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan. I think, uh, like he, I think he creates a fun theme. I think the, the new Thor theme is kind of fun, although it is. I cannot for the life of me ever remember it outside of listening to it. Like it just seeps out of my mind. I I could never hum it on command. And a a good praise that I will give him is that I think he's good. He's very good at incorporating the the theme throughout the score at the thematically relevant moments. I think it's used nicely throughout like, I'd say probably two thirds of the tracks have some kind of appearance of this thor theme which you know which is well done even though i think the iron man theme is much much better um just like the sons of odin theme was so freaking good and so versatile and could be used on all these different tones and moods i I just don't understand why they would change it i think like he, he really has a tendency to overuse the brass like like instead of like whenever he goes big, it's just like he's just trying to like just throw all the inf- the instruments at the screen, just make it like louder and bigger. Without there's not a lot of personality to the music. Um, there's a couple of tracks I did enjoy. Uh, the Thor the Dark World, which is the main theme, is pretty good. Um, uh, Into Eternity is the music that plays over the uh, over the funeral where you have the vocalist doing the th- there's like a, the vocalist doing the Thor theme, which is pretty cool. You know that kind of Big, big sweeping tragedy, and then uh, Shadows of Loki was interesting. I think it has like this kind of dulcimer instrument, like s- some kind of stringed instrument. It's like this really old, mysterious track. So there's some good stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> and unlikely alliance has like this burst of the Captain America theme when uh <laughs> when Loki mimics him. Um, yeah, just overall c- kind of a dull, forgettable score.
1: It's the audible version of the color gray. <laughs>
0: Do you have any thoughts at all of the score?
1: I was not able to listen to it again before recording and I have no memory of it at all aside from the funeral scene which <laughs> I think is great.
0: And, and uh weirdly the Marvel Studios fanfare sounds a lot like the Thor theme.
1: Well, I so I do like that. And maybe it's because I see or I hear that one so often that I remember that one, but I like that one a lot. So that and the the funeral theme Get a pluses in my book, and I can't remember a thing about anything else.
0: All right, all right. So let's move into our star rating and ranking for this film. Um, what do you give this out of five stars, and how do you rank the MCU so far?
1: So I gave it three stars for the longest time, but it's a victim of me trying to be more disciplined and like uh, less lax on things. So it's, it's actually its own getting. Victim. <laughs> That's true uh so it's getting bumped down to two and a half stars out of five i'm i i used to justify three because of how much i love loki in this Mm -hmm. um but i mean that's it's it's balanced out by how ambivalent and at other parts how much i dislike things you know so for for Loki, you've got Malekith, and then every so those those are two extremes, and then everything else is just so lukewarm that it's it's like right down the middle. Uh, as for the ranking, I go number one, The Avengers; number two, Iron Man; number three, Iron Man Three; number four, Captain America; number five, Thor; number six, Iron Man Two; number seven, Incredible Hulk, and a distant eight is Thor: The Dark World.
0: Yeah, so for IM two and a half stars as well. It's probably going to be the only MCU film below a positive grade, uh, which hurts. And yeah, it's just this movie is just kind of boring. And like, if it weren't for the amazing Loki stuff, it'd probably be a, a lot lower. But I think, yeah, average out, you know, it has that really good stuff, and then everything else is just so bland. So, you know, it averages out to 2.5 stars. As far as my ranking so far, we have number one, The Avengers, number two, Iron Man, three, Thor. Number four, Iron Man 3. Number five, The Incredible Hulk. Number six, Captain America, The First Avenger. Number seven, Iron Man 2. And number eight, Thor, where it shall remain probably throughout the rest of this uh, series. Going to the uh, box office for this film, uh, domestically, it earned $206 million. In the foreign markets, it earned $438 million for a worldwide total of $644 million on its uh on its either on its one hundred seventy to two hundred million dollar budget, which is just barely over half of what Iron Man three made, which could be a backlash to Iron Man three, or just because this movie is boring and no one went back to rewatch it. Either way, I mean,
1: I think it's I think it's because regard like people people may not have liked people didn't like Iron Man two and showed up for for everything because they know. they
0: still love Tony Stark
1: and that that's the thing I think regardless iron man 4 could have come out immediately after iron man 3 and still made a billion because people love tony
0: yeah as far as the critical reception it holds a 66 percent on rotten tomatoes and a 54 on metacritic it is the lowest rated mcu film on both sites i just i do remember a lot of people saying it was better than the first film which i bugs me to high heaven (laughs) but i I don't remember much at all of the, the conversation outside of that like it seemed fairly lukewarm. Um
1: Yeah, so as as far as like the film's legacy, that's kind of still where it is. Like whenever it came out, I remember the conversation being like this is this is Marvel's first like real misstep, unless you count like Incredible Hulk and Iron Man Two. <laughs> or 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 like proof that you know the Avengers isn't going to be able to carry everything else. Because you didn't even have that with Iron Man 3, especially critics did not respond as negatively to Iron Man 3 as, as a lot of the fans did. So this was when was like, the fans and critics were both like, eh. And, and I think the reaction of this and its legacy has kind of just been a macro version of what we experienced with, where like, the more culture has engaged with it and rewatched it over the time, the less people really enjoy it to the point where now like it's frequently on the bottom of everybody's list. And it's, I don't know. You can say the name of Iron Man two and they're like, yeah, not great, but you know, I mean, it's still fun. You just say dark world. They're like, Oh yeah, that one was one that was made.
0: Yeah. I think if, if there is any kind of consensus on the worst MCU film, I think the majority would say Thor, the dark world. All right. Uh, so that was our very tepid review of Thor: the dark world. Uh, If you enjoyed it, I'd to ask you to please uh, head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Um, If you want to like us on Facebook, we are there as Franchise Sadiq Podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, we are on both of those sites as at FranchisedPod. And if you want to find our other episodes, you can go to FranchiseSadiqPodcast.com. And where can people follow you, James?
1: Uh, You can follow me at Letterboxd. and there is JL Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. You can also join us over on Facebook at The Outer Rim, a Star Wars group. We are a Star Wars Facebook group where we talk positively about the series, and we're actually right in the middle of a marathon leading up to Rise of Skywalker. So definitely check us out there if you're interested.
0: And I'm also on Letterboxd And there's Gabriel Green. You can follow me on Twitter as Gabe A Green, and I'm on uh, and I'm on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green. Um, so for next week, uh, we're gonna just be a little bit different. As I said, we'll both be traveling, so uh, this week we're gonna record like a short minisode. There's you know those little shorts they released on the blu-rays uh which would have been what was it iron man did they start with iron man 2 The or was the, the the incredible hulk no yeah iron man 2 had the had the counselor from incredible yeah yeah so yeah. they did that through the dark world um they're, they're pretty fun uh, i haven't watched them in a while so i'm looking forward to seeing him again and i i think we'll, we'll probably do also do a bit of discussion of, of all the other uh, news coming out of us uh, the san diego comic con we'll be a bit late but there's a there's a lot to talk about yeah
1: so Until next week, we will see you in the one
0: shot. If I were proud of the man my son has become, even that I could not say. It would speak only from my heart. Go, my son.